You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. And now, here's Pastor Scott. It's great to be with you today. We are together each and every day from 3 to 5 to talk about issues of the day from a Christian perspective. There's a lot of issues today, and there are some sad stories uh, in the news with some shootings. One in Hollywood, Florida, nine people shot out on the boardwalk. Chicago, 11 killed over the weekend, 48 wounded. Just in one city alone in weekend violence in Chicago. It was the deadliest Memorial Day weekend in Chicago in eight years. And here in the Southland, uh, footage shows a mob of 40 teenagers jumping three Marines on Memorial Day on the beach. And uh, it was pretty rough in San Clemente. Uh, rough weekend. You know, there's a lot of bad news and chaos and political back and forth about the debt ceiling and other things. And you know, we'll talk about some of that. But how do we bring back a sense of right and wrong? Like really get into some things that as the church we can do to address this you know, rather than simply relying on other people, what are some actions we can take? Joining me today on the Pastor Scott Show is Ralph Drollinger. He is the president and founder of Capital Ministries, founded in 1996 to create disciples of Jesus Christ in the political arena throughout the world. Capital Ministries' long-term vision is to create discipleship ministries in 40,000 neighborhoods across America and in 50 state capitals and in all three branches of government in Washington, D.C., and in 200 foreign nations. Pretty big vision there. Ralph serves as the president of Capital Ministries today. He's the author of Rebuilding America, the Biblical Blueprint, and his recent book, All in Authority, Reigniting the Bible's Top-Down Mission Strategy. Ralph, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Well, hi there, Scott. Nice to see you there on the Zoom today. Oh, nice to see you. I don't actually see you, but uh, I, okay. I hear you pretty well. So hopefully uh, I'm looking good. Uh, I'm assuming that you are as well. Yeah, you are. You are. <laughs> I don't look too good. That's why I'm on radio. Well, that's how it works, right? It works for all of us, except now they're going to put us on the video all the time, everywhere you go. You know, so know. we'll just have to, uh, you know, use the artificial intelligence versions of ourselves and see how that goes. There you go. Right. You know, uh, we see all of this, and you've been in this arena for a long time. And when you look at the way the church responds in the political arena, what do you think our our best steps are? What what can we actually do when we take a look at uh, where our country is headed, and what is the church called to do? Well, if if the scriptures are informant in answering that question— I think that it gets back to a, the necessity of a biblical missiology. And um, back when <clears throat> the evangelicals were sensing the fall of culture as early as the 70s and Jerry Falwell invented the moral majority, what was wrong with that and why I think 50 years later we really haven't seen any fruit from that because culture is rapidly declining now, almost at a geometric rate of growth mm-hmm. in terms of de- declination that um what was wrong with that strategy is that in essence at the end of the day you're trying to get someone who rejects the author of scripture to accept the precepts of his book and i think that just doesn't fly when you think it through uh, and distill that thought so what needs to happen rather than trying to, say, spackle the cracks that get wider on the fifth and sixth floor of the building, every year it seems like we need more spackle, and we're trying to convince people to change metaphors, to think biblically, 
about cultural issues that are so impacting to the, the decline of the nation that we need to look at what's going on in the basement of the structure. And that is informed by Ephesians 2, which says, you know, men are dead in their trespasses and sin. Or as it says in Corinthians, Paul says, they cannot even understand them. So they can't even understand biblical truth until they get to know the author of scripture. So I think what's wrong with the religious right movement is we're trying to moralize the lost rather than evangelize and disciple them. And so that's what Cap Men is all about, is attempting to uh, bring the gospel right onto the campuses of our political leaders and win some and build some in Christ. And to continue with the thought, uh, one legislator, when we first went to D.C. and I started the Bible study in the House, and now it's in the Senate, and now we have a governor's weekly Zoom Bible study, the, um, the reality is we, we've got to have people on the campuses of the Capitol that can make disciples, like we say, have crew on the high school or college campus or Youth for Christ on the high school or college campus. We've got to have those kinds of disciple makers on the campuses of our political leaders, not to moralize them, but to evangelize and disciple them. What would you say? And I, I think that you are right, that we get off the mission so often because we're looking for, I heard somebody say once, is that somehow we've decided that we just need to get the right people elected to office and then force people to do or believe what we want them to believe. Can't really do that. It's not It's not biblical. And it's also not possible. Yeah, you might get a guy to vote biblically for one or two times if you pressure that you're going to put a bunch of money in against right. him. Right. But that's campaign. not the church. That's not getting him to believe yeah. anything. It's political right. pressure. That's getting, that's getting into activism. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with believers being involved in government. But when you take the institution of the church and and change it from a missiological agency of evangelism and discipleship to a missiological agency of political change through pressure tactics, then you've really lost the trump card of the church. Mm to convert the soul. That's right. My guest is Ralph Drollinger. He is the president of Capital Ministries. Ralph, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into this kind of ministry? You started off uh, in the NBA. Uh, <laughs> well, before that, uh, I played for John Wood at UCLA. He's on uh, two national championships there and then turned down pro contracts to play with uh, athletes in action, toured the world preached the gospel at halftime. And then when the 1980 Olympics didn't come to fruition, I signed with the Dallas Mavericks. I was the first Dallas Mavericks signed as a free agent. I could go anywhere I wanted, but I chose Dallas because I wanted to go to Dallas Seminary. Hmm. But I spent more time in the whirlpool than on the court or the classroom. I just was kind of damaged goods by then in my knees. I have two artificial knees now. Uh. And suffice to say, from that, I uh, when I retired from basketball, I found myself soon thereafter the head of the trade organization of all of America's sports ministries. And I could see from that purview, Scott, that what was really driving the sports uh, movement in America relative to uh, the gospelizing of athletes, because today, even today, you, you can't go a week without hearing some athlete talk about his faith in Christ right? in local or national media, print or electronic media, you always hear athletes talking about their faith in Christ. Well, that's because of the sports ministry movement 
which was birthed in the 60s in America through organizations like Athletes in Action, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And I can see from my purview that what was really fueling the sports ministry movement in America was these full-time, intentional, deliberate, biblically-reliant disciple-makers on the the campuses, so to speak, of the athletes. Well, when I met my wife, which was actually through the leadership of Salem Media, um, they introduced me to my wife, and uh, she was the head of their political action committee. She was a little frustrated because of the reasons we just went into of trying to moralize the lost and get Christians elected to office. That wasn't doing so well, especially in California, where their pack was centered. And when they introduced us, I think on our second date, going to a, an Ed Atzinger event out in Camarillo, um, the whole vision between the two of us came into fruition. We were soon thereafter married, and that was the birth of Capital Ministries, because my wife was saying, Danielle, you know, we spent all this money trying to get Christians elected to office. They go up to Sacramento four days a week, nine months of the year, and they lose all their their moorings if they had any to begin with. Mm. And then uh, we really don't see any change politically. So she said, what we really need there are disciple makers in the capitals. And of course, I just had been involved in the sports ministry movement where that's all we really did. So that was the birth of capital ministries when our two lives came together not only in matrimony, but in vision. You know, I think, uh, as you say that, I think about how over the last, you know, 70 years, we've seen Christian ministries and discipleship ministries, really good ones, like you said, on the college campuses with uh, sports, professional sports, even some that are in uh, high school or junior high, middle school campuses. How did we miss that with the with governmental organizations? There's usually a chaplain, you know, somewhere there's a chaplain in the House and in the Senate. and Yeah. You know, and I used to do prayers regularly for the San Diego County. You know, they'd call me, and if whoever it was was had yeah. dropped off, I was close by. I could just do it. You know, there's there's sort of a a religious aspect to all of that, but it's not disciple making. How did we miss yeah, that? Yeah, good, good distinction. And most of the state constitutions have a clause that says session will begin with a prayer not to exceed 500 words for three minutes. That's how it is in D.C. <laughs> and so you have this formality that's actually yeah. a constitutional structure. And so what happens is the speaker or one of the leaders invites in a pastor who they pay an honorarium to. He he puts out a prayer and off he goes. I never got We're paid. I should uh, write a letter maybe. Uh, I never got anything. I got a nice picture of people. <laughs> yeah, good point. So I'm sure that's not what was motivating you to begin it with. It was not. No, I'm happy to do that for free. I know. I know. I know. But— <laughs> What what happens is that guy isn't there to make disciples. So at Cap Men, we don't call ourselves chaplains just because we don't want to get confused with the guy that's hired by the state to be the chaplain. We'd rather use a distinctive different name, so we call ourselves ministry leaders. And we're there full-time, like I'm in D.C. every week of session, teaching a House member Bible study, a Senate member Bible study. When Trump was president, I had the cabinet member Bible study that I taught. And I still have those guys on a weekly Zoom Bible study, as well as now a new governor's Bible study with 11 uh, governors involved in that. So we're doing what we're talking about, and we just think we need to spread that through local government ministries in the 40,000 cities and counties incorporated in America. If we had intentional, deliberate, biblical-reliant disciple-makers who taught the Word of God and evangelized the lost in local government, 
we would see a, a huge change over time in America just because our political leaders would think biblically and have a Christian worldview as a result. This is the Pastor Scott Show. My guest is Ralph Drollinger, the president of Capital Ministries. And you know, as you're talking about the local uh, local political uh, entities, I think during the COVID, maybe a benefit of that is that we learned a lot about our local governments. We learned how important they are for, with respect to our day-to-day life and how important those officials are who I think are often ignored. Yeah, for sure. There are local leaders, and most churches don't walk across the street to start a ministry in City Hall. They might have a campus pastor, and they might have a guy in the high school or college campus if there's one nearby, and they get that. But for historic reasons, evangelical fundamentalists have backed away from the political arena because when theological liberalism hit the church 120 years ago, our seminaries, to be a social gospel, you had to tie yourself to government in order to get your program and your theology completed, which was an aberrant, still is theology. And as a result, all the fundamentals evangelicals backed out of the political arena. When you think of it, we started that way with the Puritan pulpits. Mm. The, the Puritans held most of the public service offices in the country when we started. But after theological liberalism encroached government, the fundamentalist evangelicals backed away, and we really didn't come back until the 70s, but that was with a moral majority, moralizing emphasis, and we really haven't come back in with a biblical missiology until cap men in mass 26 years ago. How would you define, uh, for our listeners, missiology? Maybe that's a word that uh, oh. some haven't heard before. Well, that's a seminary word for missions. Right. What's, what's the doctrine of missions? How do you reason uh, the fulfillment of the Great Commission from a biblical standpoint, what's going to inform how you fulfill the Great Commission is what we call your biblical missiology. That's right. You know, um, in so many years in doing this, something that that I've heard before over the, really the last 20 years, I feel like this started maybe after, you know, with President uh, George W. Bush, I started hearing people, maybe if they're on the left side of things going, when they're, when they're asked to pray for their leaders, they say, well, he's not my president, I don't have to pray for him. Or then when Barack Obama becomes the president, then people on the right, well, he's not my president, uh, I'm not going to pray for him. Same thing with yeah. Trump, same thing with President Biden. But the scriptures teach us very clearly that we are to pray for uh, all petitions, prayers, and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. And then it starts with for kings and all those in authority. Um, And that is a a part of the basis of your ministry. How do we move beyond the fact that maybe, and this is particularly true for a lot of people listening in, in different places, we don't really agree with the decisions being made by political leaders, How do we get past that and focus on the disciple-making that we should be doing? Yeah, well, I think Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2 inform us that we respect the office. We might not respect the office holder, but because God is the creator of the institution of not only the church, but the institution of civil government, we know that from Matthew 22 as well as Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2. There's no way around that biblically, that God is the one who ordained civil government. Therefore, we need to respect the institution God has created, and we need to respect the people that he allows to uh, be in office. Now, we might not agree with them, 
They might be dead in their trespasses and sin and not vote biblically whatsoever, but we still have to respect the position. And then, of course, our biblical missiology would inform us as to how we should impact correctly that person who holds the office that God instituted with a biblical perspective on how to create change in their heart. And that's what we've been talking about. Yeah. Uh, Ralph, tell us about CAP Ministries. How does this work on the local level with, you know, county boards of supervisors, uh, maybe even school boards with city government? What is it that you are hoping to do to create this environment where believers will disciple uh, and minister to their government officials? Well, we're looking for men who sense a call to impact government in a biblical way that maybe are a retired pastor or a current pastor or a businessman who's retired looking for something to do that taught Sunday school for years and he's trying to go from success to significance as he's retired and wonders what he's going to do. And we put them through our training and certify them to become a local government ministry leader. We provide all the Bible studies. They can use the Bible studies that I write an eight-page Bible study every week, 52 weeks a year that's in D.C., taught in D.C. It's four colors. Or they can use my curriculum, which is Oaks in Office. So we give you all the exegetically drilled down Bible studies that are pertinent to the life of a public servant, which have custom applications from Scripture to the life of a public servant, so that you don't have to create your own material. Of course, you can if you want, as long as it's biblically correct. And then we teach you through our training as to how to how to get into the local government and start a ministry in City Hall. Mm-hmm. And it might just be meeting with two or three city councilmen at Denny's on Thursday morning and taking them through the Word of God. The and Bible had, and moons over Miami. It's a good, uh, yeah, good yeah, way to start the had, day. If we had all kinds of guys doing that, you'd find that that would influence who's in the state capitol, and that would influence eventually who's in D.C., because the guys in D.C. come from state capitals, and the guys in state capitals come from local government. That's right. So we've got to we've got to spend our time with guys as they're cutting their teeth and forming their ideology at a young age in their vocational path. That's right. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show. My guest is Ralph Drollinger. He is the president of Capital Ministries. How is this going? So you know, when have uh, what is what's an example of how this has worked well in uh, a local government somewhere? Well, like in the outskirts of Sacramento, uh, one of our ministry leaders up there and one of the, there's seven different incorporated cities in the greater Sacramento area. One of those cities has had a capital ministries Bible study now for uh, many years. And the guys are thinking biblically. The city is flourishing. The city is actually giving money to churches to run outreach programs that the city realizes because of their informed biblically about this that they can't do as good as the church would do so they give Mm -hmm. money to churches to have basketball leagues etc to win kids to christ and it it changes a city and uh, all kinds of from that bible study with city council members all kinds of different programs that affect that city have been uh, enacted uh, because there's a cohesive unity amongst the leaders in the city because of the preaching and teaching of the Word of God in a regular Bible study at Denny's. 
And there's also trust that happens because it's personal. It's not just uh, a letter Absolutely. or something else. Absolutely. There's a chemistry that occurs. If you've ever been in a small group Bible study. That's right. A chemistry that occurs that's really strong and creates all kinds of outputs that you couldn't imagine otherwise. Yeah. How does somebody, if they're listening and they're saying, you know what, I want to be a part of this, uh, do they go to your website, capmin, C-A-P-M-I-N.org? Yeah, go to capmin.org and just click on local government. and It'll take you through a self-vetting process, and then it'll give you people to uh, apply to that will mentor you through the process of becoming an LGM leader. The uh, Also on your website, I know people can get a download of your recent book, um, uh, All in Authority, uh, Reigniting the Bible's Top-Down Mission Strategy. That can You can get that at capmin.org as well. Yes, sir. All right. Yes, and I, sir. I recommend doing that. The first one of the lines in it uh, right on the cover there is leading political leaders to truth and discipling them to maturity in the faith, not changing laws, must be the urgent mission of the church and every believer. I think discipleship in so many ways for the church is where we have to focus in right. everything that we're doing, because that's what Jesus told us to do, interestingly enough, is make disciples. Yeah, right actions come from right thinking, and right thinking comes from thinking right about God. That's exactly or, right. Exactly right. Ralph, thank man, you for— a uh, man thinketh in his heart, so he is. That's exactly right. Ralph, thank you for joining me today on the Pastor Scott Show. I really appreciate it. You bet, Scott. And nice thank you for what you do. Um, can I pray for you before you go? Sure. All right, God, thank you for uh, Ralph and for the Ministry of Capital Ministries. I pray, Lord, that we would not be distracted by so many things that take us off course of what really actually works— to bring the gospel to to people, including those who are in authority over us, including those who disagree. I pray for this ministry and everybody who's a part of it and everybody listening who wants to do this. I pray that you'd move in their hearts right now and open up those doors for them. We pray for all of our political leaders at every level that they would seek what is true, uh, what is true in Christ, that they would grow in their faith or begin to have faith, that they would mature And we thank you for this strategy and this ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Scott. Thank you, Ralph. Thanks for everything you do. God bless. All right. God bless you. This is the Pastor Scott Show. My guest was Ralph Drollinger, the president of Capital Ministries. You can learn more by going to capmin.org, C-A-P-M-I-N dot O-R-G. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we will get into... Uh, some of what's going on in Washington with the the debt uh, debt discussion. This is the Pastor Scott Show. Number is 888-528-2557. I'll be back as the Tuesday edition continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. I just got off the phone with the president. I talked to him twice today. And uh, after weeks of negotiations, we have come to an agreement in principle. We still have a lot of work to do, but I believe this is an agreement in principle that's worthy of the American people. Um, It has historic reductions in spending, consequential reforms that will lift people out of poverty into the workforce, rein in government overreach. There are no new taxes, no new government programs. 
There's a lot more within the bill. That was Speaker McCarthy over the weekend talking about the deal on the debt limit and the debt ceiling with President Biden. And a lot of those details are coming out. It's an interesting situation because you've got people on both sides who are either liking it or not liking it. And, you know, kind of what we've been saying here is that they're not going to let the country default. And this is something that we're seeing, you know, often over the last 10 years or so. And, you know, it's uh, there's back and forth and both sides are going to come out and claim victory and that they won everything they wanted. And that's kind of how this goes. And then there are people who I think, um, you know, have different things that they want on one side or the other. I wanted to go through a little bit of it and also get your thoughts. You can call the Pastor Scott Show. This is 888-528-2557. That's the number, 888-528-2557. There's some interesting things in it, and maybe it's just some of the conversation that I think is interesting. At the end of the day, even with this agreement, whether you like it or not, our debt is still massive, and the the deficit is still going to be massive, and it's still going to grow. And I think that you could say, you know, when you have one party with only a five-vote margin, which is what the Republicans have in the House, there's not going to be a lot that the Republicans can really do uh, unless they can keep all of those voters together. In this case, I think what you're going to see is this will, this deal will pass, and the majority of Republicans will vote for it. Some of the Democrats will vote for it, and it will pass. It'll be done. This is not the budget, by the way. This is just a debt ceiling negotiation. The budget comes uh, next. They'll start to work on the budget. The federal, the federal budget year, fiscal year, ends in uh, September, begins October 1st. I want to give you just some numbers Because when we're talking about deficit, deficit is how much you've overspent in a year. And the total debt is pushing $32 trillion with a T. And as I like to point out each time we talk about this is $32 trillion. If you spent $42 million million every single day since the birth of Christ, you will still not equal the $32 trillion national debt. That's how badly we are in debt. This is the deficits over the past 10 years, and this includes both parties. There are times here where both parties had power, and uh, in 2012, the deficit was uh, $1 trillion, almost $1.1 trillion. 2013 went down to $680 billion. 2014, $485 billion. 2015, $442 billion. That means we overspent by $442 billion. 2016, 585 billion. 2017, 665 billion. 2018, 779 billion. 2019, 984 billion dollars. 2020, that's the year that, uh, of course, with COVID, that blew the lid off of everything. Over three trillion dollars, 3.1 trillion trillion dollars. And then in 22, the deficit was 1.376 billion, so almost 1.4 billion dollars. So when President Biden he likes to say, "Oh, I reduced the deficit 1.7 trillion," well, that's true, but it's still 400 billion dollars more than it was in 2019 before the pandemic. And this year we're on a pace uh, to overspend by almost 1.6 billion dollars. So this year will be the third highest, I think, in history as far as the deficit goes. And, you know, sometimes people, to simplify it, you know, people say, well, we just need to tax people more. But I'll tell you what, the estimates of if you were to raise taxes on the wealthiest of Americans, people who make over $400,000, like the president likes to say, 
I've seen different numbers when you Google it. How much would that really bring in? And it's somewhere between two and six hundred billion dollars. Uh, so not even close to addressing the deficit. The only way to fix the deficit is to cut spending, massively cut spending. And I'll tell you what, the things that I hear from people kind of on the right and left, they're not telling me something. They're not telling me what they're going to cut. So I appreciate those who are saying we have to cut, we have to stop overspending. I'm on that page for sure. But there's a reality to that. And you're going to have to cut programs that some of your voters like or that some of your voters even depend on. And I'm I'm not hearing a lot of that. Not to the, I'm not hearing, you know, I'm not hearing anything to the tune of a trillion dollars of cuts. Uh, we have some hard times coming, and I think that you know one way to look at this is it's a start. At least we're addressing it because you know for so many years we hardly even addressed it. The deficit we used to back in the '90s. Remember, everybody was we wanted a balanced budget amendment. You know, people said, and we actually balanced the budget with a Democratic Senate and a Republican uh, Congress and a Democratic president, uh, balance the budget. And I think we might have stayed on that page longer, but I think 9-11, when that happened, everything went kind of crazy. And uh, we have not recovered since. And people say, oh, the wars and the wars in Iraq, they they were some money, but it's not the majority or even partly the majority of the deficit that we have now. 888-528-2557. That's the number, 888-528-2557. There are many comments that people have. Here's President Biden uh, discussing it. What's the message to House Democrats who have reservations about this uh, compromise bill? Talk to me. Mr. President, what would you tell them? I'm not going to tell you. Why not? Look, you guys all get on and say... Tell them what a good deal is. How about, how about this was a 100% deal for the Democrats? Do you think it helped me get a pass? Well, who's got the better deal? Do you think it's going to help me get a pass? Come on. Who's got the better deal? So some Democrats don't like it, and President Biden is saying, come talk to me about it. And he'll explain his side of it. There are Republicans who don't like it either. This is presidential candidate and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Well, prior to this deal, Kaylee, our country was careening towards bankruptcy. And after this deal, our country will still be careening towards bankruptcy. And to say you can do $4 trillion of increases in the next year and a half, I mean, that's a massive amount of spending. Uh, I think that we've gotten ourselves on a trajectory here really since March of 2020 uh, with some of the COVID spending. It totally reset the budget, and they're sticking with that. Uh, And I think that that's just going to be totally inadequate to get us in a better spot. Look, in Florida, we run big budget surpluses. Uh, We have a $1.2 trillion economy, but our debt is only $17 billion, second lowest per capita in the country. Uh, But we make tough choices, and we make sure that we look forward to the long haul. Obviously, in Washington, D.C., they do these cycles to just get them through the next election. And that's ultimately one of the reasons why they continue to fail. And that's uh, his opinion. He's right about something. He at least will get to a place where he will, uh, you know, he's talking about the fact that we're still going to have debt. Um, Hopefully, at least we're doing something. At least we're getting started here. But there's there's a lot of pain that's going to come with these decisions that have to get made. 888-528-2557. You can also email Pastor Scott at KKLA.com. Let's go to the phones. Rick in Los Angeles. Welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Hi, Scott. Um, just uh, thanks. Just two, two cents. The first cent is, uh, I think, the, one of the very obvious items that need to be, line items that need to be taken to, into consideration for, for cutting spending 
uh, to me, was you know the low low hanging fruit, which is any programs that had to do with the the diversity, a number of programs at schools that are not serving our kids, uh, and a lot of money has gone into that uh, under the, under the auspices of wokeism. But but even some programs that you know that may be associated or not with woke culture. Uh, um, can be a, a definitely low-hanging fruit. I mean, you can look at all the items all the way from military spending to the last line item, but there's, there is definitely, and maybe look at those with magnifying glass to see, not because they don't have validity, but perhaps there are cuts, spending cuts that could be done on those, but there are definitely others that could be completely eradicated that have contributed to nothing except division, particularly those that I mentioned earlier. That's number one. But secondly, there's another aspect of this. I absolutely agree that this is not going to be resolved by by uh, collecting more taxes because then it's the question of well, what are we, we're going to actually where are you going to use that tax you know uh, revenue on, which is actually what the people have no say over. Yeah. And what tends to happen one, is that when you get more revenue, you just spend more, so you don't really right, you don't right. pay down the debt or pay the things that you've already committed to. You just pay more, so you can you can tax people more. And let's say theoretically those numbers are correct that you might bring in a few hundred billion more dollars, but that. Probably what Congress tends to do is they just spend more. Outside of the fact that on top of it is a drop in the bucket in terms of the context of the debt itself. But then the other thing that we need to address is the fact that we are being regulated or at least controlled by a very parasitic uh, entity such as the Federal Reserve that also um, collects via IRS uh, interest on money they didn't have in the first place to, to lend to us. Yeah. That's another aspect that needs to be looked at. Until There's that, a, the big, big elephant in the room of the Federal Reserve uh, validity is not looked upon. Got, and by the way, Rick, I got to go to I got to go to a commercial break. I appreciate your call, but I'm right up against a break here. And uh, I thank okay. you for your call. And I understand there's there's a lot that needs to be cut, but we're talking about amounts of money that are hard to even comprehend. And it goes back. We've been in this trouble for you know way before some of the. Uh, you know, more current social woke, for lack of a better term at the moment, uh, spending has been. There's there's massive cuts that would be necessary, or at least let's stop spending more money. i got to go to a break. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. I'll give you some particulars of the deal as soon as the Pastor Scott Show continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. What do you think? A lot of progressives feel like uh, they got sold down the river. What do you think? Well, I think it's important to note that also Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare, all saying safe, not being touched at all. I think the Republicans' obsession with work requirements are offensive to poor people, assuming that people want to be poor and don't um, have the the fight inside of them to work hard. It's offensive, and I think it will uh, ultimately come uh, a backlash. But I think the way that they were able to negotiate and protect veterans, people who um, are homeless, is really important. That was Ashley Allison on CNN. Do you think that people are offended by the idea of able-bodied people being required to work in exchange for uh, government assistance. Here's what she's talking about. In the bill, the the debt negotiation, the debt ceiling negotiation bill that was passed, or not passed, but that is being presented, it's called the Fiscal Responsibility Act. There are some things in it that she refers to. It does not, um, it does not uh, force work requirements on 
uh, veterans or people who have any dependents at all. So if you've got kids or you've got a uh, elderly parent or somebody that you're working with, uh, you don't have to worry about anything. All it does, here's the only thing it does as far as work requirements, and this drives me nuts. It, tell me if you don't agree with this or you know what you think. But So all it does is say that if you are 50 to 54, that age range. Currently, if you're between 50 and 54 and you have no dependents, you have and you have no disabilities, you have you're perfectly capable of getting a job. Uh, you can get food stamps and other government support like that. And you don't have there's no requirement that you go look for a job or anything between 50 and 54. I'm not talking about people with disabilities, not talking about people with kids, not talking about people who have things going on where they've got to care for elderly parents or there's certain circumstances. We're just talking about individuals, men or women with no dependents, and they're completely able-bodied. Why is it offensive that we make that person go to work? 888-528-2557. 888-528-2557. That is astonishing to me that we would be offended by by that. I think there's probably just some political fear-mongering, you know, we're going to take away, you know, uh, you know, some single mom who's got four kids and trying to feed them, we're going to take away her assistance. That's not what's happening in this bill. It's to extend the age where it ends now at 50. At 50, there's work requirements until you're 50. After that, there's not. It extends it to 54. I think that if you're between 50 and 54, and honestly, I think older than that, and especially at a time when you walk down the street and there's help wanted signs all over the place, you need to get a job. And the idea that the taxpayer, and by that I mean you, should pay for that person's food and their home and other stuff. And they're doing nothing and there's no reason for them to do nothing. That's what we're talking about. I don't see how that's offensive. And and that is how you get people off the system is you help them work. It's an outrageous thing. You know, biblically speaking too, that is a, that's a huge deal. You know, this is the context here for, you know, the one who's unwilling to work should not eat. You know, I'm sure that the person who has disabilities or the person who is working because they're taking care of a bunch of kids or they're doing something for old people, I'm sure that even in a, a biblical uh, context, I'm sure that Paul would probably say, yeah, you know, you, you're you not getting paid for what you're doing, but you're working, you're busy, you're doing something that helps those kids, it's good for the community, it's good for everybody. But the person who just sits around, and if I'm talking to you, yeah, I'm talking to you. I had somebody real mad at me once on a sermon because I said that if you're getting disability but you're not disabled, then you need to go to work. You're stealing from the taxpayer. It's theft. It's wrong. And I didn't know that there was somebody sitting out there who was – this person was a hard worker in the church. Like this person was fully capable and was a great volunteer. A super good volunteer. I mean, worked so hard. Turns out the reason that she had so much time is she was on disability. And the crazy thing is she was on disability for something that she performed perfectly as a volunteer at church. She was robbing the the taxpayer, you and me. Well, I get to do all this at church. Yeah, but she's not really working. Like, it's it's... There was something to getting public. It's not like imaginary money. I think that's something that we forget in all of this, that the national debt is not money that the government has. It's your money that the government is taking. And right now they're taking it from your great, great grandkids. That's what's happening. Anyway, that's one of the things in the the bill that is being presented. I'll just give you a few things here. And it's kind of hard to understand some of it. Um, 
list there. That's one of them is that uh, you have to uh, you're not going to qualify for food stamps and other things uh, unless you go to work between the ages of 50 and 54. And that only applies to able bodied people in those age ranges. Um, Stop out of control inflationary spending. Uh, It cuts things back to last year's spending level, which, by the way, was still almost one point four trillion dollars too much. So all it's doing, it's it's cutting money that we were planning to spend above and beyond that. Uh, there is the clawback of billions of unspent COVID funds. I totally support that. $400 million from the CDC Global Health Fund that was supposed to spend your money, uh, send your money to China and billions and other programs um, that are COVID-related. Okay, stuff about the COVID's over. Everybody needs to get on that page now. It's not that it's not out there. It's not that you don't get sick. That's not what I mean. But the the crisis is done. COVID is something that we will have to live with that I think we've begun to to manage. And yes, there are still some people dying. But for the most part, we are we are doing all right with all of that. Um, there are several other things. One of them is cut red tape and streamline energy and infrastructure projects. You ever wonder why it takes like 50 or 60 years to build a road? <laughs> There's, it's crazy how long it takes sometimes. And sometimes it's because of so many different studies of the soil or the animals that are there. There's some rat that happens to live there and you can't do it. It cuts that from five to seven years down to one. So hopefully that will get some projects moving and it's still taxpayer money, but at least some things are happening. Restart student loan payments. Uh, if you are still in the COVID era, I don't have to pay back my student loans. Well, you're going to have to start. And I, I've been there. I know that's hard. You know, it was not okay when my deferments, you know, ran out when I was paying student loans. But you got to pay it back, and that's supposed to be five billion dollars a month that would come into the government. Um, there will be no cuts to the military or to Social Security or Medicare. None of that is affected by it. Um, the Money is still there for all the IRS agents that uh, were going to be hired, except that they're not going to be allowed to hire any of them until 2025, which means that it's the next administration. So they didn't really cut the money, but they said you can't spend it now is some of what that is. Uh, and they didn't end the – some Republicans wanted – uh, the end of President Biden's um, I'm going to pay off your student loan program. They didn't do that, but the Supreme Court is probably going to do that here uh, next month. And that'll be the end of that. Because the president doesn't have the the ability, the authority to tell you, tell anybody that uh, you don't have to pay back your government loan. Uh, that's what the Supremes will probably decide. I think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be five to four, six to three. I think it's going to be at least seven to two. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but uh, it could be all nine. It's, you you have to think beyond just one presidency. Like if you're in favor of President Biden doing that, you need to think to yourself, would I also be in favor of Donald Trump deciding that some group of people doesn't have to pay off their debts just because he said so? Uh, you know, it goes for both parties. You have to put things in place that are policies for both sides. All right. Um, you know, all in all on this, there is a lesson that is here for all of us. And there may be a time for debt and risk. It can make some biblical argument for casting your bread out on the waters. Ecclesiastes will tell us you take some risk, you send, you know, but, and you do it not to just one, but seven or eight. So there's some investment risk that is biblical and wise. But most of what the Bible talks about is not getting yourself into debt. Proverbs 22, 7, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender.
You know, that's the concern about the national debt, where seven or eight trillion dollars of it is owned by China. And, you know, it is when foreign governments, it's not even money we owe ourselves in that case. It puts us in a bad position. And now we're having a conversation about war and other stuff. And then just locally in your own, and I mean very locally, I mean in your wallet. That's pretty local. Unless you're like me and you forget where you put it, you know, somewhere. Um, the rich rules over the poor. The borrower is slave to the lender. I've been there. I'm not there now, but I have been a slave to Visa and MasterCard. They owned me at one point. The amount of interest I was paying on that was incredible. It took years off my life, I'm sure. And I know some of you are there. Do what you can to pay it off. And we're, we're talking about national debt, the consumer debt. That's personal debt that you and I have. Uh, it's enormous and it's not healthy. You know, in this hour, we've talked about how when you do what the Bible actually says, and this is part of disciple making, that when you do what the Word of God tells you to do, you live your life better. It doesn't protect you from all the pitfalls that happen in life and bad weather and, and the sickness and disease. We have that until Christ comes again. But it's going to protect you from just about all the things that you might bring upon yourself in the meantime. And it's also going to help you get through those difficulties. When you watch this on TV and you're thinking about all of that, pray for your leaders. Pray that they get on board with, with longer-term cuts because we need to do that. It's going to be painful. And you've got, to ask, uh, you've got to ask them, what is it that you plan to actually cut? Because those, those figures are things that we, you will feel it. And it's necessary. I think it's going to be forced eventually just because of math. Democrats or Republicans, I think it'll be the same. And in the meantime, you get your own house in order. Be the person that you want your congressperson to be and pay off your debts. Be responsible with your income. And if it's overwhelming, I've been there too, but start now. Just start a little bit. And uh, it matters a lot. All right, I got to take a break. We'll come back and uh, we'll talk about things that happen in the workplace that you might morally object to, such as if you work for the Dodgers. This is the Pastor Scott Show. We'll be back as the Tuesday edition continues. Stay tuned. 